Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randy Janda. Hey, what's going on? It is The People's Show. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Shamati running the show. And you, thanks for making us part of your day as well. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You can always be part of the show. Texting in 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Randy Janda sporting the Mercedes hat. You can't see on the stream. We're not streaming today. It's a look. Uh, Dom walked into the room today and said, "Whoa, that's a color." Yeah. Maybe I'll. Uh, maybe maybe we can take a picture at some point during the show. No, but race I, I've worn today. it. I've worn yeah. it on the stream before. No, you you have. Yeah. It, it, it's a classic Friday Randy look. Oh, this is getting ready for F one, but there's no F one this week. No, and that's okay. I, I'm just feeling really bright today. That's fine. It's kind of rainy this morning. I don't know how it is now, but I'm just feeling good. It's you look Friday. Like a pylon. It's all right, man. It's a bit harsh. <laughs> the style, harsh right? I'm all black. Everything. I got the shoes, got the, the hoodie. look. Yeah, yeah I got the Dudsoda hoodie as well, but Rapping. we're in uh, the highlighter hat. Speaking of Dudsoda, you had one sent to you yesterday that looked... Uh, at a bar, yes. <laughs> well... At an att- cool. attempt at Dudsoda. Attempt. <laughs> Don't know if we can call that. We're not claiming that as Dudsoda, but shouts to Jay from Night Street, listener of the People Show, member of the uh, uh, the community, citizen of the People Show, and uh, was at, watching the game last night, and walks up to me with this orange-looking drink. Milk and some sort of orange drink mixed together and said, hey, dude, I was trying my best. They don't have cream soda here, so this is what they made. So shouts to Jay from Night Street. Did you try it? No. <laughs> did you see that picture, Bick? <laughs> did you see it? I, I did. That. I did. Come on. He put it there. I was like, do I have to drink it? He's like, no, no, no. Just, just for future good. reference, if you ever want to buy Randy a drink like that, what would be the best move? If they don't have cream soda. You don't have Coke to buy milk? me a drink first. I want to. No, no. Not, but like, no. if, if you're going to do that, Coke and milk? Yeah, the- yeah, not coconut milk. No, I was gonna say whiskey, but no. no but if but we're like, if, if we're going if, with if, the if, brand, if you're trying to make that concoction. Coke oh. and milk would work. It's probably the next yeah, best substitute. Yeah, growing up, you had that yeah. as well. Not as much as Dodsor does. So that's yeah. a that's a not a bad yeah. fallback option. But do not try orange and milk or whatever the yeah. heck that was yesterday. A big shout out to uh, again Jay. Jay on Night Street shouts to him as well. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Jay was telling me yesterday he's on his way to Penticton right now to take in the Young Stars tournament. Let's so he's gonna go. be enjoying. Some Canucks game action. Uh, you'll be able to hear that, by the way, on the alternate stream uh, today as well. Uh, if you go to sportsnet.ca slash 650, you'll be able to find it there on the Sportsnet app as well. Uh, game day. Game day. Nice to hear that, isn't it? Yeah. Saw some action yesterday. Dallas was playing. Montreal was playing. Seeing some clips going out. You're like, oh, here we go. Not to sound like Mario there, but here we go. It's going to be uh, Vic's new intermission uh, voice. Here we go. I'll, I'll try to work on my Mario impression because I was pretty bad. Yeah, take some pointers from Richie on that. I'm sure yes. he'll give some. But uh, just to see hockey, I know it's not the stars right now, mm-hmm. but even if it's young players, even if it's guys like the Vancouver Canucks are going to have up in Penticton where we're seeing the lines. And yeah, there's a lot of people saying, who are these guys? But that's kind of the point. 
you've invested so much in your player development staff, you have to extract every amount of skill from these guys and make sure that a couple of them hit at some point in time, Vic. So I know there's a, you start looking at those uh, lineups that Batch sometimes tweets out and say, sorry, what? Who? Who are these guys? Can you make a couple of them a player at the AHL level, the NHL level? That's why this is intriguing. It's like who's going to be able over time, not immediately, but over time, separate themselves from the pack. Here we go. There it is. There it is. Well, hopefully, good pull, Dom. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Some confessions already coming in, by the way. Uh, we'll do confession Fridays as well. Vic six uh, later on as well after a five and one start. We'll see if we can build out on it. The trust isn't back yet. It's still comeback season. It's still bounce back season. Uh, that's uh, about an hour away. We'll do confession Fridays at uh, two o'clock today. And if you texted in last week, uh, we will have a couple that we didn't uh, get to as well. But you can get those submissions in six fifty. 650 as well. All right. You may have heard a few clips of it already, but next week uh, on the 32 Thoughts podcast, your Canucks D-man, Quinn Hughes, will be on with Jeff and Elliot. But we pulled a couple of strings. Uh, we got a little preview here. We'd like to bring you a couple of clips of what to talk about uh, with Quinn Hughes and what he was asked about. And there was a couple of things too. And I, th- I think this is an exciting year for a player like Quinn Hughes because last season going into it, it felt like he took it personally of his defensive record the year prior and how bad it was in the plus-minus column. And if you had to look at one thing that was probably most important to him, it was improved defensive play and getting on the right side of the ledger when it came to plus-minus. Well, guess what? Big check mark in that regard. He still maintained his offensive value, especially, obviously, on the power play, putting up 30 assists there. What is the next step now for Quinn Hughes? We'll, we'll hear from him in just a second. But what do you want to see? 650, 650, uh, and Randy, like what, what is most important to you on the evolution of Quinn Hughes? Because, again, we have to remind ourselves, he's 22 years old. Yes, he's getting uh, a big payday, but he is 22 years old. Turning 23 soon. Yep. But that maturation process, both mentally and physically, is still ongoing for a player like Quinn. When you look at his game, and I'm going to focus on that first, what I'd like to see more, and I can sure I can be sure that it's going to be something that he does work on, and we've heard a little bit about that as well in the past, is that, hey, shooting more. We, we've heard about it. You know, whether it's him playing point on the power play, that quarterback role, to, so to speak, at the top anyways. We know JT Miller is kind of the focal point, but Quinn has a very important role. Can you make that more of a threat? So is that goals for you or just general shooting? I think general shooting because as we've seen, the really you know strong defenseman on the power play, it's getting your shot through. Are you creating havoc? Yes, you want your defenseman to, to get the puck through and maybe pick some corners every now and then, but are you in a position to get that net front presence player the ability to, to whack home a rebound? Or is that bumper guy leaning into a shot that might spill into his into his shooting lane. So it's not necessarily about picking corners specifically. It'd be nice if you could do that. But do you add a little bit of power? Do you add a little heaviness to your shot that gets it through and you've got the PK on, you know, playing on their heels essentially? That's really important to me. So when we talk about the defensive side of things, of course, that's always going to be an area where you're trying to say, how can you get that much better? Especially if he ends up playing on the right-hand side, which we've seen in skates and, you know, with OEL and Oliver Ekman-Larsen, just that being an option, of course there's going to be some 
learning curves there. The defense will always be an area of focus for Quinn Hughes. But when we talk about the offense and just getting that much better, I look at that shot and say, if he can get a little bit more through five on five, absolutely. But you're going to have to see that how that goes. But definitely on the man advantage. Get that shot through, create havoc. Then you've got a couple of different threats. And they got to, you know, the PK's got to be honest to Elias Pettersson, JT Miller. You got Bo Horvat in the middle in the bumper spot. You're going to have to pick your poison. Uh, that is one of the things Quinn Hughes mentioned uh, as well when chatting with uh, Jeff and Elliot. Here's uh, Quinn Hughes on uh, something he wants to improve on. I had a good year on the ice. Like I was happy with how my year went, and I think they were too. It's for me. It's all mental. Like Roman Yossi had 110 more shots than me, and I think that's a crazy stat. Um, so for me, just shooting a bit more, but then off the ice, trying to expand as a leader, being at the rink earlier, working out, just. Being a professional and trying to expand my role on the team, I think that's what they want to see, and I think I'm ready for that. So now he cites Roman Yossi, who is one of the premier, if not the most premier, uh, offensive D-men in the league. Now, I don't know if there's that level of goal-scoring ability in Quinn's game yet. Again, we'll see how it evolves. But Roman Yossi just engages in offense a bit differently than Quinn does. If you want to look at the, like, the true rover role of go be the fourth forward, that's Roman Yossi right now. There's an evolution of guys that yep. are kind of evolving into that, and Quinn's in that on his own process as well. But I think there's just more natural goal-scoring ability. It's not something we say a lot about D-men in Roman Yossi's game. But he references shots, creating more shots. To your point, on the power play as a spot, is it threatening enough, though? Because I feel like Roman Yossi's shot is threatening. Quinn can launch the rubber and, and does a good job for the most part getting it through. I think his shots through percentage is something like 43, 43%. So does a good job from distance, but it's always meant with the intent of creating tip-ins and rebounds. Is it threatening the goalie enough? That's a valid question. I think Quinn's not there yet, but when we look at Roman Yossi and the way that he progressed, like Quinn Hughes, he had five goal seasons. Mm-hmm. And he played less games. He was in the 50, you know, 40, high 40s range. But the point is, it's not like Roman Yossi stepped into the league with that level of production. He eventually went from a five-goal score to a 13-goal score and now is a 23-goal score. Scoring was up last year. But the point is, he's been consistent in those mid-teens for a bunch of years. So is Quinn's shot threatening right now? No. It's one that you're probably playing for a tip. You're not necessarily shooting to score or shooting to even create that much havoc. He will... Get there, I think. It's clearly a focus for him. And with Quinn Hughes, kind of reminds me of one of those players where he strikes me as a player that goes home and is going to go look at, watch film, go look at his stats, probably sitting there with his dad and saying, all right, how do I tweak all of this? Like defense, we, we kind of like joke about it. But remember, he made a comment last year yeah. about being better defensively and working on that with his dad. I remember hearing an interview with his dad as well and being – Hey, we talked about he, how he has to be better defensively. So even though we kind of joke about it, I can imagine him just going on NHL.com and getting on you know, natural stat trick and start pouring over the stats and saying, yeah, Roman Yossi had that many shots? Yeah. So I'm willing to say, I think the way that he is wired, that threatening shot's going to come. I don't know if it comes this year, but those numbers, like when we talk about Quinn Hughes scoring goals, 10 to 12 makes sense. The amount of chances he gets and the amount of time he gets on the power play that's a, a number that I think naturally comes to him. It's just you got to get those shots through. You got to be a little bit more lean, more 
into taking those shots, which he has been hesitant in the past. And I wonder if that links up with skating. It's not something we critique Quinn Hughes on a lot, is skating. But he's obviously lateral agility, one of the best in the league. The power in his stride to separate, that's the thing that I would look at and say, okay, that's where Makar kind of separates. That's where Yossi kind of separates. That's where maybe even Adam Fox kind of separates from him. If that sinks up now, will that create more shooting and goal-scoring opportunities for Quinn Hughes? The thing that I want to see, though, is you're becoming one of the – you are one of the faces of the franchise. And now it's important for you to take that next step. You kind of referenced – being a professional uh, and and just embracing becoming a bigger part of this organization because you're now transitioning into that role where these are your prime years. And this is what's more, it's not an on ice quantifiable thing for me, but if this is a step that either he and Elias Pettersson take, I think you'll see the fallout from that. Here's what Quinn Hughes had to say about uh, embracing being a leader. I do do a lot of that. Like, I love hockey. I'm always there. I'm, like, on the ice early. I'm last guy off the ice. Like, I really enjoy it. For their aspect, I think they just want to see me try to be the best I can be in every situation, in every area. And, I, like, I welcome that. And, like I said, I want to be a leader. And if I'm doing those things, then I can ask my teammates to do those things and try to do the best at, you know, at what they do. So I think that's where it comes from as well. I wonder if uh, he watched the last dance again over the uh, the offseason. Because there's that clip of Michael Jordan. It's like, hey, you asking one of my teammates. I didn't do anything that I didn't ask them to do as well. Yeah. That's that's essentially the same sentiment. Now, we have to see that translate. But even at the end of last year, Randeep, and I know this is a thing that you referenced a lot mm-hmm. at the end of season, um, when like guys like Tyler Myers are bringing up, hey, like, hey, Quinn Hughes yep. took some ownership, and we could see the evolution of a player. And – a person of what we think he was becoming. And if you hear that now in the offseason, a chance to reflect after the chaos that was last season, coaching change, management change, trying to get back into it, all that sort of stuff. If there's that mental growth, that's the part I want to see. Now, look, we're always at pregame warm-ups. Fans can see him. He is the last one off the ice at the warm-ups. It's, 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 it's his thing. Yeah. The mental recognition of it and now applying that to all the other facets of your game and – that's what we talk about. Hey, get 1% better. And when someone like Quinn Hughes gets 1% better, how does that make 19 guys around him get 1% better? And that is when you when you talk about internal improvement. Yes, it's important for Elias Pettersson to get to 75 points. Yes, it's important for Quinn Hughes to get to 10 goals. But what does that mean for someone like Niels Hoaglander around him? What does that mean for someone like Connor Garland around them? And on and on and on and on. That's where I think the exponential growth for a team can really go if he applies what he's saying there. That is huge. And the fact that I love to hear that first and foremost, you know, when somebody, especially a young player is essentially saying, yeah, I want to fill that void. If there's always a a conversation in this city of how do you insulate the young guys? No, probably don't want that moving forward where you're saying the young guys are willing to step up and ready to step up and want challenges. And I think that's a really important aspect of this because if you're in a locker room, and there's a guy that says, hey, Bruce, I'd like to be on the PK. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bruce, I'm okay playing on the right-hand side if you need me to do that. Leaning in in a team element is so important. That's what other guys are paying attention to say, all right, if this guy 
who's yet to turn 23, is willing to do that. He's got the maturity. He's got the honesty to break down his own game as well. Quinn Hughes, at times, tells it like how it is. If he doesn't play well, he's going to be pretty open about, yeah, I could have done this better, I could have done that better. We saw that after his plus-minus a couple of years ago where he was not happy with that. So I think the ability to not only take on challenges, but want them, understand that this is what good teams do, good team players do, and there is a an impact on the rest of the squad. Like, this is a great place for the, the Canucks to be in with a young defenseman that's saying, hey, the standard might not be there on the back end, but guess what? I'm here to raise it. And if Pedersen can continue to do that as well, if he comes out and starts to, to do that on the forward side of things, then you've got young guys adding to what some of those veterans are doing. And you know what a great dynamic is? Those young guys pushing those veterans. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, in every profession, you get to a certain age and you say, you know, I've been in this league for five, ten years. Maybe get a little comfortable, even though we think players don't do that or professionals don't do that. But if you got somebody else coming up, a young player that's willing to challenge people, that's that's what you want. And it seems like all the veterans on the Canucks as well want that as well. But it's a healthy, competitive environment. Well, a good thing too is it's all well and good to to talk the talk, and a lot of players have done it. And we've made this point too: is there have been some talk and not necessarily a lot of follow through. Last year, Queen Hughes like made a point. Hey, defense is the thing I'm trying to do. And he walked the walk. So seeing that and hearing those two things, putting them together, hey, we might see the best version of Quinn Hughes uh, coming up this season. All right. What are they saying in the inbox? 650-650. We got um, Sam coming in with, I would love to see how good Quinn Hughes would be if he had a D partner like Kale McCarr. Like, that's a fantasy lineup. No, right? no, like a D partner Kale McCarr has. Oh, sorry, yeah, I missed that. Now, mind you, like, look, look, Devontae's and... Devontae's is still, uh, my apologies to Sam yeah. on that one, read that one incorrectly, but yes, if you've got balance on the other side, yeah, of course, and we've been talking about it, but it's not necessarily about having, like, would you, and the comparison I've made in the past is, like, Mark Mathot, right? For Eric Carlson, he was perfect. Mark Mathot was a $5 million defenseman, but is he going to be known as you know, one of the, the best defensemen of the last 15 years? No, he's not. It was a perfect fit. So with Kale McCarr, Devon Taves is a, is a great fit. What is that fit with Quinn Hughes? It doesn't have to be millions of dollars because if that was the case, the Canucks would have gone after, after David Savard and we saw what happened with David Savard this year. It wasn't a good season. So what is that fit is the question. And you always want to say, okay, hey, you go trade after that player. If that player is available, if Devontae's 2.0 comes available, you make it happen. But yeah, it, I just want somebody there who's there for a while. So Quinn Hughes can actually build that chemistry. I think that's important here where you're not switching year after year, a new defenseman, a new face. Hughes is talented. He can play. He can elevate any pairing that he's on. But Vic, consistency is important as well. You got to build that rapport with the defenseman. And that's why McCarr and Taves are so good right now. 650-650, yeah, while we're talking about Quinn Hughes, Ian McIntyre tweeting out, uh, a couple of tidbits from my chat this morning with Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, Canucks will roll out Miller, Horvat, Pedersen at center, and they will indeed experiment with Quinn Hughes at right D. Uh, full story coming up later on Sportsnet. Sportsnet.ca, the triple threat. Working hard. My wish has been granted. Yeah. Let's go. Quinn on the right. It's an experiment. It's an experiment. Uh, all right. We're talking about uh, that leadership growth from Quinn Hughes. Uh, there's a leadership... Uh, I guess regression or a change in Winnipeg. Big move today. Blake Wheeler removed as captain for the Winnipeg Jets. Big deal or not a big deal? Oh, this is a big deal. 
This is a big deal. Because part of me also feels like this is preparing for the future. Look, Blake Wheeler's not young, okay? Yes. 36 years old. A couple of years left on his deal. Two years left. It hasn't gone well. So obviously something needed to change. But this also strikes me as, hey, we have to start preparing for what is going to happen down the road. Okay, this is a big deal for a couple of reasons. A, Winnipeg and the room last year was an absolute mess. It was. And a lot of things were off in it. You kind of hear that through the NHL circles. I heard a little bit as well. And walking into that room, I think some players were just like, oh, this is kind of a weird vibe. Who's running the room? The captain is. Blake Wheeler. He's been there for some time. So to me, this kind of adds to that story where you're saying, this makes a lot of sense based on some of the stuff that was being talked about last year. Now, the other thing is, this is Rick Bonus's first real big move. Kind of figures out, talks to people, and ends up making this move, taking the captaincy away from a guy that's been there for a long time and certain points of his career was one of the better players in the NHL, comes with a reputation. And the third reason it's a big deal is Wheeler, Shifley, Dubois. There's been a lot of noise in that market. Mm -hmm. A lot of not-so-great noise. And when you talk about the old guard, and Pierre-Luc Dubois is not a part of that old guard, but Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley are. Yes, it is a, a movement in the direction of younger leaders. I don't know who those guys are. And I'm curious to talk to Jamie Thomas about this a little bit later on. We're going to have him on hour two of the show. But this is a big deal. Whenever you strip a captaincy and the guy's still on the roster and he's still sticking with the team, there's a change of voice there. And especially when it's somebody is established like Blake Wheeler. Remember the Joe Thornton thing? And that worked out okay for the San Jose Sharks. Thornton clearly had a, a good you know, mind about it. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's Joe Thornton. Like, how does this play out over the next couple of months? Like, I'm a man! I'm 40! <laughs> That's what Blake Wheeler's probably saying today. Remember we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago? Most interesting situations off the ice this year. Yeah. And I mentioned Winnipeg at that time. Here's the first foray into that. I am doubling down on Winnipeg right now. Forget Philly. Winnipeg is the situation to watch. Uh, 650-650, you can chime in with uh, anything you want. Uh, thoughts on Quinn Hughes, thoughts on the Winnipeg leadership change. We'll get into that uh, later on with uh, Jamie Thomas as well. Uh, from 680, J-O-B, Jets color analyst. Kevin Woodley will join us on the other side. A lot coming up here on the People's Show. Uh, we got turf trivia coming up. We got Big Six an hour away. Plenty of talk about the Thursday nighter last night. Herbert and Mahomes, just a phenomenal game last night. Uh, again, I was saying, it's new Brady Manning. That game did not disappoint uh, last night anyway. We'll do wrong answers only as well coming up. Uh, how are you spending the holiday weekend? Wrong answers only. What are you doing on Monday? Wrong answers only. We're working. Yeah. We'll be at the, the Milford Golf, yeah. Golf Tournament, so we're going to be chatting with the Canucks. But what are you doing? We're focusing this on you. And it is wrong answers only. Let's have some fun. 650-650. Plus, you can get your confessions in Confession Friday. Full show here on the People Show. Bick Nazar, Randeep Janda, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet, 650. This is the People's Show with Bit Nazar and Randy Janda. Just like superhero music? This is fantastic. Uh, this is Kevin Woodley's theme music. It's oh. called Woody Woo on uh, APM. Okay. You know what this reminds me of? 
Bonanza? When Johnny Ola and Fredo go to that place in Cuba? Yeah. A little bit. I'm getting love- The starting of that. I, I thought maybe like Mighty Mouse music. No, the beginning that of that kind of reminded me of the scene from The Godfather. I'm getting Love Boat vibes. Yeah, this part. Yeah. It's the People Show. Bick Nazar, Randy Janda, Dominic Tremati running the show. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. I was going to say... <laughs> no, please. I was going to say, what did the uh, Johnny Ola reference cash in it today? I, I don't think people are expending. I don't know. This is a pro-Godfather show. It so is. I, I feel like it'd be like plus 700. A little lower than you realize. Johnny Ola. Played by yeah. the same character, Junior Soprano. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know that. Apparently, he had like no roles after. I know uh, Adnan Burke mentioned that once. With oh, what's his name? Dominic uh... Gianazzi. You know, Gianazzi. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Good actor. Great actor. Yeah. He's also in uh... Boardwalk. Yeah, Boardwalk. He's in he's, Boardwalk he's as well. Really good at that. Which I, I tried rewatching that because I was really into it when it first uh, came out in the spring. I tried rewatching it. Yeah. I got like two, three seasons in. And I, I, again, just faded out. They they kind of mailed it in on the final season anyways. Or like, I guess they've well, been I taken mean, off the air. So it's just like, you got to no, rush it. No spoilers. But, uh, but you know. yeah. Good show, though. It started out so great. great. Show. Yeah. I, I've done that. I've told you before that you hate this. But the same thing with Sopranos for me. Oh. I just, like, oh. run out of steam for it. No, no. And I just can't get past season four. For me, it didn't fall off a cliff like the uh, Boardwalk Empire and Game of Thrones just completely... Not only did they fall yeah. off the cliff, they like took the cliff with them. It was <laughs> that's what Game of Thrones was. <laughs> but that one, I, I was just like so much more invested in that you 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 felt felt like you had to follow through with it all. Sure, Sopranos, I just never really did. Okay, see that's where we're different. Uh, but also, I did... at some point, I want to. One day you will have an appreciation for it. I don't know how old we're going to be, Beck, eh, but one day you will. I don't know about appreciation. I'll just finish the task. That's all. Uh, Kevin Woodley joining us from Ingold Magazine, Ingold Radio Podcast. Woodley, what's going on? Not much. It's a beautiful sunny day here on the Lower Mainland. I am not in 10 seconds. We'll get that out of the way right away. NHL.com <laughs> decided not to not to send me, so uh, you know, no wine tours for me this weekend. I'm going to stick around and watch my daughter play volleyball. Much better decision, I think, anyway. Okay, you got family time and you're not taking wine tours with Ian McIntyre and, you know, Chris Faber and those types that you're hanging out doing being responsible here at home. Yeah, I know, and I can't keep up with those guys anyways, whether it's Fair. financially with the you know the big bucks that Faber's making with all these articles that Canucks <laughs> Army he's producing, or just from a straight old man with a weak liver standpoint. So it's probably for the best that I stick in the lower mainland. Uh, let's talk about a couple of things that are happening uh, in Penticton, though. Just uh, in general, like someone like Ty Young, we're, we're looking at the, the, the players that you know can be exciting for Canucks fans here to kind of get a glimpse of. Uh, Ty Young... Um, Look, it's not a long time he's been in the organization, but like, what made the the pick so exciting, and and what's exciting about this upcoming year for a player like this? Well, I, I think let's start with this tournament in particular and the Young Star tournament for a guy like Ty Young. Um, you really got to be careful not to put too much in results. It's more about process, which is kind of how I looked at him in the development camp uh, earlier this summer when he was there. I was. You know, he made a couple of saves off the rush in the scrimmage game that, you know, and I don't think most people would even think much of them, but they kind of blew me away because the movement principles that led into them, both in terms of how he managed a rush and his footwork and then directly connecting that into his post play, bumping into the middle for a pass, you know, into the slot for a one tee. Like, it wasn't the results, which were kind of nice, um, but it was the way he was integrate con- integrate concepts that were brand new to him. I know 
um, into his game so quickly. And that's exciting. So that's a process that's still going to play out over the year. Uh, I like the idea that they hired Marco Terranius uh, as their development slash AHL coach, but instead of, you know, being with the American Hockey League team on every road trip, he'll start to, you know, he'll, he'll make visits um, to see their prospects, including Ty Young, and, and help that process continue. So, um, you know, I, I think the term that Ian Clark used uh, for me in an article on Ty Young was, you know, I um, can't remember, it was like, uh, like wild horses, right? Like, so the skill they see, the potential they see in him still needs to be uh, developed. And so this weekend is a continuation of a process that started in the summer. And the big part about this weekend is you've got guys that have played pro shooting on you. Like, yeah, there's other junior kids, but there's also guys who have been in the American Hockey League, whether it's in a practice with the Danila Klimovich or in games with some of the guys, like, you know, Calgary in particular has brought a couple guys that, you know, have some time in the AHL. And for a goalie, that's the biggest jump. It's pace of the game and the level of skill and shots, first-year pro versus CHL. Now, Ty Young's got lots of time to make that jump, but giving him a taste of that uh, in terms of the pace these guys play with, the shots they're able to manufacture off the rush, again, whether it's in practice or in the games he gets into, those are all part of the building blocks that they've already started putting in place to take him from an exciting prospect to hopefully within a couple of years being ready to be a good pro. Well, you talked about the Canucks, uh, Abby Canucks goalie coach, Marco Terenius, and he was out in Burnaby, as you were, last week at uh, Scotiabank Barn. And, you know, and did you pick anything? Did you learn anything new about the, the man that they brought over from Russia? Well, I mean, I've had a chance to talk to Marco in the past, and so um, the one thing I would say is, you know, we're talking about a learning curve for him as well, uh, as much as he talked even, even long before the job was an option and he got it. Uh, about admiring Ian Clark and the work and, and in their past um, interactions, the way he approaches things and the technical, you know, um, I, I'm trying to look for the right word, like just the, the amount of technical specifics that go into it, like the degree to which Ian digs into those elements, um, there are some learning curves in terms of some of it being a little bit different for him. And I think there's also a big adjustment in terms of personality. Marco's a little soft-spoken, like, the way he gets goalies to come on this journey of, of development with him is a lot different than um, the way Ian does it. There's, it's a little more, oh, how do we say? It's a little more abrupt, a little more in your face, and a little more forceful with Ian Clark, right? And so meshing those personalities and learning some of the technical elements, like that's going to be a process for Marco and sort of figuring out where that all fits. But um, talking to the goalies that work with him, watching some of the drill work, like, I think this is going to be a really good fit. And, you know, I think the idea here, I mean, it's way premature. We'll see how it works. But if it works out well, like, this is a guy who could one day be the Vancouver Canucks goalie coach when Ian decides to move up or move on, whether it's to stay in a, you know, more of a, an executive or, you know, goalie director type role or just, you know, just to get away from the grind of, of the travel. I, you know, that might be something that could happen as, as soon as the end of this current contract. And so, you know, that process of grooming someone to follow uh, in his footsteps, I think is starting with Marco Terranius here, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it develops.
Staying with the Young Stars Classic for a second here, uh, looking at Calgary, they're bringing Dustin Wolf, who this guy, you know, played in Everett and WHL. Last year in Stockton with the Heat, put up a 924 save percentage. When we're talking about the next goalies in the NHL, this guy's pretty high on the list. What are your thoughts on him and his trajectory? Well, I mean, AHL goalie of the year as a first-year pro, I just talked about how that's the biggest jump in pro hockey. It's not AHL to NHL. Every goalie will tell you it is junior, specifically junior, not even necessarily NCAA, but junior hockey to the American League. Just because um, the age gap, uh, not just the skill gap, but the age, like everybody's men, right? And in junior, you're just not playing against that. But it's even less so in the NCAA because you've got older players, um, and a little bit more of a, a pro environment in terms of the amount of practice time and things like that. So um, to, to do that in his first year is, you know, borders unremarkable. There were ups and downs. The next thing for him will be finding consistency. I, I know you think he said he finished at a 924. I remember at one point, you know, more than halfway through the season coming into Abbotsford, I think he was running, you know, mid 930s, right? So there were some dips. There were some ups and downs. And to me, that's the beauty of not rushing him. There will be probably some more and some more things to uh, overcome and some more things to, to learn along the way. Uh, as exciting as his first season as a pro was, his contract status, the fact they had Vladar locked up, like there was just no need to rush him into the NHL. Give him another year down there, see if he continues to progress the way he did um, last year, and you're going to have some options. Like, he is... You know, I mean, this is a guy who almost didn't even get drafted here in Vancouver, right? We all read the stories or heard the stories about him and his family sitting to, like, what well, we're down to, like, the last handful of picks before he was finally selected, despite posting Carter Hart-like numbers behind the same team in Everett. And so I was surprised and maybe a little disappointed by that. Obviously, everybody points to size as the reason. But, you know, guys like UC Soros being Vesna finalists at his size, I think maybe that pendulum is at least slightly and slowly starting to swing. Not that we're ever getting back to teams favoring six-footers or 5'11 goalies, but at least towards giving them more consideration. Um, you know, I, I think Ian was the one who put it best to me uh, when I was writing an article about size a couple of years ago. Um, if there's a perfect size for a goaltender, and some will tell you it's 6'3", some might even say 6'2". The reality is, outside of that perfect spot, you have to overcome your size. So if you're if you're three inches bigger than that, six five six six, there are holes in your movement. You're not going to be as fast to recover into post. There's those are long limbs you have to control and not open up as you go east west and in and out of post play. If you're six foot, it's that patience, um, not going early on, off the rush, off releases. Uh, footwork and speed have to be better than the guy who's six five. But there are challenges on both ends of that spectrum. For the longest time, teams would consider or look at the kids that were on the small end of the spectrum. Well, the six five six six guys, sometimes you know, I can point to a lot of examples where they got opportunities long past the point where it seemed they'd proven they couldn't play, frankly. And so I think at least we're seeing the pendulum swing a little bit that the, the smaller kids that continue to have success are going to at least get opportunities. They still have more to overcome in the eyes of most, you know, goalie evaluators uh, and sadly NHL teams. But at least we're going to see them get the opportunities. I think UC Soros and Dustin Wolf, if he continues on this trajectory, will be a big part of that trend moving forward. 
talking to Kevin Woodley at Kevin is in goal on Twitter. You can follow him there. You'll hear him regularly here on the People's Show as well. Uh, you mentioned Soros. He's a top goalie. I, I do want to talk about some of the top teams, though, that to me kind of have uncertain goalie situations. Colorado, they bring in Georgiev. How's that going to pair together? Is Florida, now that they've made some changes in goal, or sorry, on defense with Uyghur going out, is Bobrovsky going to maintain that standard? We've talked so much about Toronto and Matt Murray, but even someone like Vegas with Logan Thompson, like so, some of the marquee teams across the league, it feels like, Woodley, that they have some uncertain goalies uh, setups right now. Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, you know, Florida's got Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight behind them. So the question there, I, I think you hit it on the head, is what kind of team are they going to be defensively? Because the reality, um, you know, when I raised a few eyebrows, uh, the Edmonton market, I, you know, we went in August, we go week by week, we go through each division and rank the goalie tandems. And I actually had the Florida one quite low, and people were surprised by that. But the reality of Bob's bounce back, as it was called last season, is a lot of it was driven by team defensive play. Uh, relative to shot quality, his numbers were, you know, sort of in Jack Campbell territory. We talked about him last week, you know, a guy that is just hovering right around expected in the 30s league-wide. Certainly, in Bob's case, not what you're paying for, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can maintain an insulated environment for him with the changes, not just in terms of personnel, you mentioned Uyghur, but the coaching change as well. And that's the one thing I will say on Paul Maurice, you know, um, as good as Connor Hellebuck is and as worthy as he was of that Vesna, there was a recognition there that he was at his best if you created attacks that came at him in straight lines rather than allowing teams to move him east-west. And it would always look like, and even in some metrics, um, that didn't measure lateral plays where it was just all about the shot location. Uh, it looked like the Jets were giving up great chances, but they're always in straight lines. And I think that was Maurice recognizing the strengths and weaknesses of his goaltender and making sure his team played to them. So I'll be curious to see both personnel-wise and coaching if Florida can insulate Bobrovsky uh, the way they have in the, you know, in the past year or so. Um, the other one you mentioned, Vegas. Listen, Logan Thompson was excellent in a tiny sample size, but there's another team. You know, being able to do it in a small sample versus over the course of a season as, uh, as opponents start to pre-scout you a little more heavily and plan for you, which really wouldn't have been the case for Logan Thompson last year, that becomes a bigger challenge. It's, it's, it just gets harder when you have to do it night in. If you have the talent to tie into coaching change and system changes. Uh, you've heard me talk about it before. Like Vegas has an excellent defense. They were never excellent defensively under Pete DeBoer. They leaned a lot in their goaltending, including including Robin Lehner early last season, where he kept them afloat with, you know, for the first third of the season before he started to break down, like Vezina-level goaltending uh, relative to the quality they were giving up. So does that improve under Bruce Cassidy? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, some of the other questions, you know, we talked about Marco Terranius, one of the guys he works with in Finland in the summer, is Alexander Georgiev, and so he was skating him with him in August before he came over here. Talked to him about how Georgie looked and how you know how he was approaching the season. Like there, I still think he has the ability to be, to be a one A, um, but you know until you've done it, you haven't done it, and so those questions remain. Like is he a peer one or is it going to be a one A one B? I'm again, I know the playoffs were not necessarily very good for either Colorado goaltender. Um, but I'm still a believer in Pavel Francouz as a really strong 1B option. And if 
if Georgiev can't sort of establish himself as a significantly better option, I, I'm kind of curious to see how that is going to pan out. Like, they've kind of handed it, like, at least in terms of the way they're talking about it and the contract, they've sort of handed Georgie the starting role there. And I'm not totally convinced that it's as big a slam dunk as a lot of the observers would lead you to believe. Like, I, I think Fred Suze is going to have something to say about that. At, at the very least, though, I'd rather have questions about my goaltending when I have two options than questions about my goaltending where it looks like I might not have any. And that's what I like about Colorado. Even, even if Georgiev doesn't hit the ceiling that they may believe he has, they still got a really nice insurance policy in Pravo Francois, who, you know, a lot of people forget he missed an entire season. Even last year he was playing his way back from that. So I think he'll continue to get stronger in Colorado. Uh, the other guy I wanted to ask you about is uh, Jake Ottinger. Uh, I was a big fan of Dallas last year, one of the few, because, look, they had an identity, right? They knew what they were. It may not have been attractive, but they knew that they could slow the game down and live in an environment that is, you know, defensive, and maybe the volume of shots is there, but what is the quality that's being created? Now, they make a change there. How is going to Pete DeBoer going to change the way Ottinger will manage the defense in front of him? Well, I mean, again, I'm. This is one where I, I don't have an answer. I right. Mean, history would tell you that Bruce Cassidy going to Bo- from Boston to Vegas, that goaltending environment is going to get better than it was under Pete DeBoer. But you know, Bruce Cassidy also had. You know, we talk about defense and defensive attention to detail. You know, his forward group was anchored by Patrice Bergeron, sure. who led the way in terms of setting standards for five-man units to defend. So. I mean, they practically should name the Selkie after him. So, you know, can he replicate that in Vegas? Does Pete DeBoer change things up in Dallas? They have it in their DNA to defend. And, and I thought that at times last season they lost it a little bit, but clearly they got back to it um, as a primary focus in the playoffs, and we saw the results. Uh, Jake Ottinger was unreal in an environment that had a lot of predictability. Like, he still played way above his environment, the best numbers in the playoffs by a large margin. And it's impossible to sort of get a full grasp on what that might do for his confidence heading into this season. We had him on the Ingle Radio podcast in the summer, and he talked about just how much confidence he took from it, but how he realized he was capable of another level, and he put the work in again this summer to make sure he could maintain it. Does it get a little more difficult behind the Pete DeBoer coach team? Again, history would tell us it might. But, but the, the DNA there, sort of the way those players have been coached for years, they've still got that in their hip pocket. They can revert to it. I'm curious to, say, to see which way DeBoer goes in terms of what he asks for out of that group um, and whether he gets it at the same level that Rick Bonus was. Because, again, Jay Gottinger is clearly a talent on the rise and was incredible in the playoffs. But assuming that's going to just translate in the regular season when he's asked to do it night in and night out, you know, that's a big leap. I do also like, again, much like the Colorado situation, I like the option they have in net in Dallas. Like a lot of people overlook it. I said it at the trade deadline. Right, Wedgwood. Scott Wedgwood was ready to make a step. And Wedgwood made – he was a huge contributor to them even getting into the playoffs. His numbers were off the charts in Dallas. And he's another guy that I think could end up playing a larger role than we expect going into the season. All right, we love your analysis on you know goalies and, and hockey, but the real question that we really wanted you to get your thoughts on is this. 
What are your thoughts on Eddie Lack's billboard in downtown Vancouver, just outside of Rogers Arena? Like, we need the breakdown there, Kevin. Uh, friend of the show, Eddie Lack, and your friend as well. What want your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, from what I hear, he's a better realtor than he was a goalie. So <laughs> that's, uh, might as well advertise where, where the things you are good at uh, make sense. I know a lot of, I got some friends that have places down there, and every time they escape into the sunshine, we're all a bit jealous. So, um, and I actually know some people, I was at a charity event this week that have actually dealt with Eddie, uh, actually helping them sell their place down there and had nothing but good things to say about the, the way he's developed as a real estate professional. So I'm going to give him a plug here and say that uh, not just because he's an old friend, but word of mouth from people that have used him to sell and buy properties down there is exceptional. So if you're considering it uh, to be a goalie on your beer league team, because it might not work out as well as selling your place. Uh, thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. Kevin Woodley at Kevin is in goal in goal radio magazine and the in goal radio pod as well. Dom, I was talking off the air about maybe running for office in South Surrey. Mm-hmm. Yes, we we discussed it in BTS. Yeah, first thing I might I change my rock stronger cell reception. Okay, <laughs> okay, hold on though. First thing you should do is build a stadium there. Yes, of course. But, come on. Sorry, second thing. Where I would do. it go? On the water. Let's go. Floating stadium. I, I don't know if you can get 60K there, though, because that's a lot of ferry trips. So White Rock is going to be like the uh, like the Middle East of, of BC, where you're, they're building islands, yes. like man-made islands yes. for stadiums. I yes. like it. Honestly, like the Fraser Valley FC team, just maybe out on the water. Yeah. 10,000-seat 80,000-seat stadium. Oh, 80,000. Look Let's what go. Doug McCallum has inspired. Dom yeah. has dreams now to run for there's civic mo- office. There's money in White Rock. There's always money in the bananas. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, Bick Nazar, Randy Bjanda, Dominic Shamati here on the People's Show. All right. A lot to get into uh, today. We'll do Big Six on the other side after a strong opening to the season. Five and one, folks. Five and one. Even the ones that didn't make the cut still won. Yeah, we're not hitting those. We, no, yeah, I know. You can't, you can't add those. No, yeah, I'm just I'm I have saying. all these thoughts, too. They turn out yeah, right, but I never said I'm them. Saying. Five and one. Let's stick with that. It was, stick it was with a that. good start. Five and one. Don't get greedy. Gonna uh, go one and five this week. Look, we never know. That's what I'm saying. I haven't, I haven't earned the trust back of the people and the people show. To be yet. fair though, last Monday, Vic was like, he was humble, but he was also a little confident. Well, I what, think what overconfident. Happened, what happened uh, was Friday. What was it? Nine seconds into the show, someone texted in. I was like, "Oh, Rams, nice pick oh, yeah. there." And then, and then Jamie Monday, and I, Jamie and I, obviously oh, buried you for it as well. Ripped it. Monday, I was like, you know what? Let's see how quickly. People respond, and, and no one texted in. I, I, I guess I guess everyone took holidays or something. They're like, it's, oh, like, it, it's like a, making it's, it rain on a Monday. It's like a review, though. You know, anytime you get positive service, yeah. you usually don't call in and say, hey, I had great service. Yeah. It's the negative experiences I, that stand out, Bic. I had to wait an hour to bring up uh, how successful Big Six was. I bet you your Big Six mimics the Seahawks' performance week to week. Ooh. Oh, interesting. So if the Seahawks win, interesting, you'll have a good big six. But if they lose, you'll just be like one, one. Here's five. the thing, though. Here's the problem. I, I think Pete Carroll has job security. Big six, big. <laughs> yeah, you said it has to hit no, a certain level. I, I said big six is like on the line this year. Mm. Uh, so we'll get to that on the other side as well. We'll talk about the Thursday night football game because it was phenomenal last night. But let's do turf trivia. Uh, we got a pair of tickets to the Vancouver Canadians playoff game tonight. At the Nat, first pitch at 7.05. You'll hear it on our airways as well with Tyler Zickel uh, playing Eugene. You're going to that game tonight. I will be there. Uh, we're asking you a couple of things, though. That's right. And the question, 
there's something in the news today that soccer fans will know about. Team Canada's, the men's team, roster was unveiled. The squad was unveiled for the World Cup. They're going to get ready. They've set that squad. So it's soccer-related. Who was the captain of Team Canada at the 1986 World Cup in Mexico? Who was the captain of Team Canada at the 1986 World Cup in Mexico? It's a tough question to end off the week, but I have confidence that we will not hear crickets on the text line, 650-650. Get your answer in, 650-650. We'll pick a winner on the other side, plus big six, and we'll do don't at me a bit earlier as well today. Uh, so that is coming up in Confession Fridays on a Friday here on the People Show, home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.